Hello, I'm Kate Chauvirich and welcome to the SEDEP podcast. Based in France and operating internationally, we are a global executive education club where minds meet, grow and succeed together. SEDEP is a collaborative learning community of leading international organizations from diverse and non-competitive industries. Rooted in the real world and driven by the real-life challenges of our community, we co-create leadership development programs with innovative, highly relevant and actionable learning. Our mission is to work together to develop leaders and create purpose-driven, agile and sustainable organizations. In an ever-changing and uncertain world, we choose to work together to make the world a better place for us all. This is the third episode in a series of six podcasts with Jules Goddard, SEDEP faculty, renowned philosopher, author and fellow of the Centre for Management and Development at London Business School. Jules has also recently been appointed to the Council of the Royal Institute of Philosophy. In this podcast series, we examine six different philosophical experiments with managerial practice and ultimately address the key question of why should we bring philosophical experimentation into the heart of business and what can we learn? In this episode, we'll explore experimenting with HR practices and in particular, the notion of why we should reinvent the firm as a platform for the development of entrepreneurs. So welcome to the Setup Podcast, Jules. It's great to have you here once again. I believe you'd like to start by sharing a story with us to illustrate today's theme. Yes, Kate, absolutely. It's the Hewlett-Packard story. In and around the year 2000, HP suffered a big dip in performance, and many of its best people left the business. Many of them went on to set up their own businesses, and today, these businesses are valued at more than Hewlett-Packard. The mothership, so to speak, is now worth more than all of her children. So what's the moral of this story? I mean, what does it say about the entrepreneurial talent of many corporate employees? Well, let me express it this way, Kate. When we're young, most of us create more value for the world by belonging to an organization and learning how to be more effective. The organization adds value to our talent and capability. But at a certain age, most of us grow out of the need for this supportive and protective environment. The organization starts to hold us back. It actively subtracts value from our talent. And we would be more used to the world, perhaps acting independently and being our own boss working with others of a like mind and of our own choosing. The age at which this becomes apparent will vary. Some of us discover our entrepreneurial talent as teenagers and never want or need employment. Others of us never discover it. We will always need the security of employment to provide an income. But the vast majority, I suggest, get to this moment of realization in their 40s. Employment and everything that comes with it starts to become a handicap and a source of frustration at about that age. We find ourselves becoming passive creatures. We lose any sense of our own agency. We cease thinking for ourselves or taking risks that could reward our independence of mind. So are most of us entrepreneurial by nature? I think so. Certainly most of us are more entrepreneurial than we believe ourselves to be. And perhaps only when there is no alternative do we discover our entrepreneurial talent. So did HP miss a trick then? What could they have done differently? Yes. What could HP have done if they had recognized that most of their executives over the age of 40 could be wealthier and happier leaving the security and comforts of employment 
and perhaps with colleagues, building their own business on their own terms. Perhaps HP, with enlightened self-interest, should have encouraged their most imaginative employees to leave, either singly or in teams, and set up their own businesses. And just as important, HP could have taken a stake in these businesses and benefited directly from the skills of the entrepreneurs that they had helped to develop over many years. And during your own career, Jules, have you witnessed employees wanting to explore their latent entrepreneurial talent? I've certainly witnessed employees tiring of employment towards the end of their career, perhaps having missed the opportunity to set up their own businesses. I used to do a lot of consulting work for Freshfields Brookhouse Derringer, the London-based law firm. Many of the older partners wanted to take life easier after the age of about 55 or 60. They were very willing to take a big cut in income to be able to work fewer hours but with less stress. But this was regarded by the firm as irresponsible and disloyal, so they were not allowed to do so. Even at that age and at that level of seniority, they were expected and required to stay on the treadmill of long hours, tough targets and hard work. Sadly, they'd left it too late to leave Freshfields and set up their own firm, and they felt stuck. I always thought Freshfields was missing a trick by not offering greater flexibility of work contract to them. So how can we build on this idea? I mean, you mentioned the need for organisations themselves to become more entrepreneurial. Is that the answer? I think so, yes. I think there's a proactive solution to this problem and an opportunity to accelerate its realisation. Corporate leaders should consider establishing a venture fund and tempting those over the age of, say, 40 to compete for it. They would have to prepare a blueprint of the business that they wanted to create and make a business case for its funding. Effectively, the firm would be communicating its strong intent to become a venture capitalist on behalf of its own employees. A side benefit of this tournament for funding would be that perhaps without knowing it, these same managers would become more entrepreneurial running the company's own business. So how should we rethink the idea of employment? Well, perhaps employment is better conceived as an apprenticeship in business. At a certain stage, we need to move on from being an apprentice to becoming a master craftsman. We should be creating employment rather than occupying an employment slot that by right belongs to someone starting out on their career. Too many jobs are done by those who at their age should have learnt how to be independent of employment and to have set up their own business. With the gradual demise of what was once called retirement, this argument is particularly important. Do we really want to be still reporting into work and to a boss in our 60s, 70s and 80s? I don't think so. This means that whilst we are still young enough and energetic enough, we should try our hand at starting our own enterprise and providing employment for others. Okay, so going back to the Hewlett-Packard story, what should companies be doing to expand the entrepreneurial culture? Well, to start with, I think firms should start celebrating rather than mourning the departure of some of their best talent to launch new businesses. Above all, they should take a stake in these businesses. Perhaps they should supply funds and expertise or whatever else is needed to give these businesses their best chance of success. Maybe lending it skills on a part-time basis or treating it as a case history for showing younger managers in the firm what is entailed in becoming a successful entrepreneur. In short, businesses should become universities of enterprise, learning hubs, 
venture platforms. They could be catalysts for an entrepreneurial revolution in society. Okay, so what can we conclude from this episode? I mean, on a larger, more futuristic scale, what are the key takeaways? Well, one conclusion may be this, that if we are to grapple successfully with the climate emergency, we're going to have to find ways of encouraging established companies to think of themselves as venture capitalists in their own right. As a society, we're going to have to become more, not less entrepreneurial. The climate challenge is not going to be solved by talking about it, demonstrating with placards, appointing committees, setting up think tanks, attending COP conferences and establishing policy review boards and other bureaucratic institutions. This, I think, is just throat clearing. It may help us feel that we're addressing the problem, but it's really a form of avoidance. If a catastrophe is to be averted, it will only be through imagination, competition, and big rewards for stunning successes. It's not going to be achieved by government, goodwill, altruistic gestures, or relying upon the better angels of our nature. It will require capitalism operating at its best. It will enrich those who contribute most to the solution. It can't be wished into action. It will require a revolution in technology that only a competitive market can deliver. It won't be about the world slowing down or making do with less. This is simply not the species we are. Human nature is not like this. The power of the climate emergency is that it will only be solved by business and science in combination. And I think in a hundred years' time, when we look back on the extraordinary success of our achievement, we will see that it was capitalism's most heroic achievement. The role of government will be to create the context in which business and science are trusted with the solution by confidently putting in place the competitive conditions and the right incentive structure to engage and energize our most ambitious and imaginative citizens. So finally, how does philosophy come to our aid at this critical time in history? Well, I think there are two obvious links. One is to Aristotle and his view that courage is the greatest virtue because all others are reliant upon it. It is when we are in our 40s that courage is particularly valuable if we are to break out of our routine, try new things, listen to our destiny and take back ownership of our own life. The other link is to Kant's categorical imperative. The danger of remaining in employment into old age is the danger of finding ourselves behaving purely as a means to the ends determined by others. We become increasingly imprisoned in a box that is none of our making. Thank you, Jules. This is the end of another very insightful episode. We look forward to next time where we'll be discussing ways of experimenting with hierarchy. Jules is the co-director of SEDEP's Management and Philosophy program, which explores philosophical experimentations in managerial practice and how to use philosophical analysis to push the limits of contemporary management. You can find more information about this program on the SEDEP website, www.sedep.fr. And if you'd like to read more about the themes raised in this podcast, Jules has recently launched a new book called Business Experimentation, a practical guide for driving innovation and performance in your business, which is available online and in all good bookstores. Thanks again, Jules, and until next time.